Howdy, y'all. We're back. Merry Christmas. Happy Boxing Day. And all thank over. God. All thank, over. thank God it's over with 363 days of bliss. Uh, God, I, I, I posted I posted on Facebook. I says, Merry Christmas, and thank God at midnight the music stops. Yep. It's just, I mean, it's dreadful, but anyway. Um, okay, well, just just to touch on a couple, one, a couple, well, one brief thing. Um, it's extremely cold, shockingly, in Buffalo right now, uh, the opening day of the World Junior. Um, but it's a little colder than it usually is, Russ, and mm -hmm. the, the temperature is around the same, I believe, in the New York City area. And mm -hmm. now we have the uh you know the outdoor game between the US and Canada at the New Era Field on Thursday and then the New Year's Day Winter Classic in New York at City Field on New Year uh, like I said on New Year's Day and it's funny I heard something and I still can't believe it it's laughable the reason why the game was not played in Buffalo with the outdoor the outdoor arena set up uh, instead of it being in City Field, was because they were fearful that they could not take apart the the rink in time for a Buffalo Bills playoff game. Wow! <laughs> I mean, give, give me give me a break. I mean, if they do make the playoffs, they'll make it by the skin of their teeth, and it'll be on the road. But that was that right. was the reason why. I mean, they there what you know there would have been. A, a rink already there, and they would play on it twice instead of once. Right. I, That's crazy. You know, yeah. Well, I mean, and I, you know, I mean, how many how many outdoor winter classic games have there been in New York? Was it four? Now this will be four. Two at Yankee Stadium, one at City Field, one in Buffalo. No, so, just New York City. New York City. You said oh, uh, I think three. I think it's three. three. It's been three. This is four. This is four. Okay. I mean, yeah. And it would have made sense the 10th anniversary mm -hmm. to have it in Buffalo. I, I, you know, I, I just think that's, that's bizarre. But anyway, um, it would have been convenient for me. I'll, I'll, I'll say that, but yeah. it's fine. I like it at city field. City field's a nice field. It gives a, um, city field will be a better backdrop than, than new era. That's for sure. And, and the other consideration was that they didn't think they could sell 40,000 for the world junior outdoor Canada, USA, and then three days later, sell 70,000 for Sabres Rangers that that would, right. be, that would be stretching the, the hockey dollar thin. And we'll talk about, we'll talk about, uh, you know the the crowds uh, in Buffalo on day one in in a little bit, but I, I have to say I was um, I was shocked uh, yesterday around I think it was six o'clock six thirty when the news broke that uh, Maple Leaf great and Hall of Famer Johnny Bauer passed away at the age of ninety three. Now you know unfortunately like I never had a, a lengthy conversation with Johnny Bauer like many of my friends up in Toronto have who you know, covered the team for a number of years or uh, one friend had a forward for a book that he wrote written by Johnny Bauer. Mm -hmm. uh, the only um, sort of uh, interaction I had with him was at a book signing a few years back and it was basically, hello, Mr. Bauer. And he said, hello back. It was not a long conversation, but everybody, every, I've never heard the uh, unanimity of people say 
this is like one of the nicest men ever. Like, and he was totally beloved in Toronto and he lived a great and long life, but he did pass away uh, suddenly from pneumonia uh, yesterday. Yeah. I, I did have a lengthy conversation with him because I had a chance, uh, thanks to a friend, Linda Santiago, who used to work for the NHL. There, there used to be, like at all-star games, there's like an NHL lounge, for a better lack of a better term. Yeah. And so when we were in there, Johnny Bauer was there with his wife, Nancy, mm-hmm. and so was um, oh, uh, the pocket rocket. Oh, um, Henri Richard. Henri Richard. Thank you. I was thinking Henri. I couldn't think of. And so – we went and spoke to Johnny first and his wife, and, and they were a great couple. I got to tell you, they, it's, it's very, it was very like nice and reassuring that hey, these you know for anybody who's married, like these people are together all these years and they're happy. And this guy had been a hockey player, and you wouldn't even know he was a hockey player by the conversations we were having, like family conversations and stuff. Like they were just a delightful couple, you know. And then of course, you know, Johnny would throw in some stuff about how training camps were and, and, and things of that nature, you know, how archaic things were. And actually I just saw something last night on the NHL network where he said that as a kid, he'd play outdoor pond hockey and it would be 45 below. So you're complaining about 20 degree weather, Mike, that's kind of like, you know, a joke. He thinks yeah. this guy's playing 45 below. I mean, I think they could fill the airwaves for a week with anecdotes about Johnny Bauer. I, could. I, I mean, you know, and, I heard. So, I everybody heard owns this. an autograph of Johnny Bauer. Everybody has a Johnny Bauer story. It, it it is a great thing. I will say this to give a little prod to the Leafs fans. At least he was a three time winner for the Leafs. They're no longer. There is no long four time. So there's no longer a, a guy like that in Leafs history. Like that's it until until they well, start up a new history. Well, I mean, the, the, the members, I mean, most of the members of the 67 team were members of, in 62, 3, and 4. So, Keon and Armstrong. Yeah, that's Bob, true. I guess so, goaltending wise, then. But, but goaltending wise, it was, you know, he, he, was the, he was on his own island. He was the primary goalie for 62, 63, and 64, and him and Sawchuck split the right. in 67. But, right. you know, if you, look at, if you look at the history of the team, uh, I think it was 219 career victories. He started in his early, in his 30s. So, you know, he played until like age 40, 45. 40, 45. So it's – it's And it, actually it, they said vision stopped him from playing, not anything else. Right. Yeah. And so that's interesting that it was his eyes that gave up. But – we have to be real about something. You can't play until you're 45 now as a goalie. Like Rollison, I think, played till 42. Yeah. And, you know, even he was a little long in the tooth at the end. Like it's gotten to the point now with this game that the goaltending position, what it entails, right, is a lot more than what Johnny had to do. Now, Johnny did invent like the poke check, which is yeah. great. And, but still, all in all, I mean, he, look, he played without a mask. <laughs> and to do a poke check without a mask with a guy coming at you, I don't know how you do it. There's a, there's a, the pregame video at the Air Canada Center. Um, it's, it's really good. It's a montage of a number of players throughout Leaf history. And the video snippet that they show of Bauer, he gets hit in the side of the head with the puck. And then I think about three seconds later in the same snippet, he either gets hit with the puck again or he gets hit with a stick. So it's like, you know, and he's wearing That's no mask. I retire. That's the day I retire from hockey, right? Yeah. Now. 
but uh, no, the, but as I said, the one the one anecdote that I heard this this morning on the radio was which was hilarious. Apparently, they named a small little park in Toronto named Johnny Bauer Park right near where he lived, and apparently he would go out every day like during the summer. And clean up the park because he, you know, wow. not not that he thought it was like you know his responsibility to do it, but you know it was just something. I guess it was his own little prideful thing, and he was pick up the newspapers or whatever. It's like, you know, just yeah. He was one of those guys that definitely changed the position. I'll tell you something else though that from his era, that's a bygone thing, and that's the um, the AHL used to pay as well as the NHL. So like yeah. for people going to look back on his records and say, well, he can't. Couldn't have been that good. He was in the AHL till he's like 36. He was in the AHL till he was 36 because he was making more money there. Yes. Yeah. And then the, the Leafs had to talk him in to coming to Toronto yeah. because he was making, ju- I guess, just as much money for the Cleveland Barons as he was yeah. for that he would have in the NHL because he played parts of three seasons with the Rangers. Yeah. Uh, and didn't do particularly well because the Rangers at, at, at that era were not that great. No. Um, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, China Wall, great, great guy. And we'll, we'll miss him. I only met him the one time. Well, that's not true. I met him the one time, and then we both did see him recently uh, last year around this time at the Centennial Classic, and yeah. he was there for that. Always sharp-witted, always just just a delight. That's all. And I have to say that the the uh, I was I'm very fortunate to have been in the building when they announced the retirement of all the Leafs numbers, the season opener last year, and. You know his his you know he would he was first him and Turk Broda because they both wore number one, and the reaction from the fans was louder for Johnny Bauer than it was for Wendell Clark and you know yeah. Wendell Clark is a fan or Doug Gilmore, and even Dave Keon who they were waiting for some yeah. recognition of after years of being. Um, you know, there's an acrimony between the two sides. It was Bauer who got the loudest and most emotional response, and that just showed how loved he was by the by the fans of the Maple Leafs. So. Yeah, and for Gary in the chat room who wants to tell me that Rollison was, was good for Tampa, he was when he was 41. He had a 9-12 save percentage. That last year, which is the year I was talking about, that I said he was long in the tooth, he had an 8-86 save percentage. He, he was losing it. He was. Yeah. All right, let's get started. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Wednesday. <laughs> no, honestly, with, with Christmas and Boxing yeah. Day, it just throws off. I didn't know what day it was, but Wednesday, December 27th, 2017. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And that's Perla. And I'm Michael nope, nope, Jordan. Jordan. That's Jordan. Excuse me. I have all black and white dogs, though, folks. So it's like either they're white or black and white. Even my cats are white and black and white. So, Mike, you're, you know, yeah. I can't play. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Um, we will start with the World Junior because I was in that building, well, the two buildings, the Harbor Center and the Key Bank Center uh, in Buffalo for about 12 hours watching four games. It was pretty fun, but a little tiring. Um, we'll start out with the game, which was I think had the most surprising result, which is the Russians and the Czechs. Uh, yeah. The Czechs win 5-4. And Russians, the Russians really didn't start playing. Uh, and I missed, of course, I missed the third period because I went over to the other building yeah, to watch I watched it though. Sweden Bel- and Belarus. But the Russians really didn't start playing with some energy and verve until they were down 5-2 in the third and made a late rally. Yeah. But, Russ, as you said, and I, I noticed it, um, 
you look at their defense, they're mo- mostly a bunch of undrafted 19-year-olds. Yeah. And this, so there's no Sergachev. There's no, you know, big prospect. Nobody of that ilk. Nobody, yeah, nobody of that ilk. And the goaltending is pedestrian at best. At best. Yeah. And that's why I think Sukachev needs to be the guy. I don't know why they went with the other guy. And I forget his name starts with an M. I don't know why they went with him. He was clearly not up to the task. And and that was pretty evident early on. But they they stuck with him for a little while. Sukachev got in there and he – and he only gave up one goal, I believe. And yeah. so I think he'll be the guy after that. Look, Russia can still nail it down and give teams trouble. But their undisciplined play was bad. Like, there's too many power plays. Guys like Philip Zadina and Martin Neshish on, on this power play just destroyed them. Yeah. And, and that's something where, you know, on our show that we did, I did with Shane Malloy, we talked about the Czech team. And, you know, I knew Hedl would be a factor. I I – Thought for sure he had a broken nose. He still might. Uh, but yeah, but, but he came, he came back very quickly. Boy, was he heroic. And they said he didn't have a concussion, so obviously they looked at him because that was – it was an inadvertent hit with the helmet to the nose, yeah. but I would not want to get that shot to the nose. Like the blood was just gushing, and you said it took a while to clean up. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it took him a couple minutes to scrape up. I mean, I don't know he if there's – He up his nose, and he comes back, and he scores a goal. Yeah. Uh, the goalie is Melnichuk. Yeah, Melnichuk. I was not a fan. Yeah, and their defense, of the eight defensemen, six of them are undrafted 19-year-olds. Zaitsev is a seventh-round pick of the Devils. And right. Sam- Zaitsev was good on the power play, but that's about it. Yeah, and Semurkov, if I'm, yeah. I'm probably butchering his name. He was an Edmonton draft pick. So, you know, most of the pop, most of the, the stars on that team are up front with Rubstoff and, yeah. and Kostin and uh, yeah. Svechnikov. So, yeah, and Svechnikov uh, but- looked good, although – puzzling they didn't play him on the first couple of power plays then they worked him in it's like this whole weird russian hierarchy like hey if you're 18 or younger and Svechnikov's only 17 like that's the amazing thing is this kid is only 17 um because you know here's a misnomer like i was talking to someone yesterday they thought you had to be at least 18 to play in a tournament i'm like no you just have to be under 20 that's really where it's at darlene was 16 years old right i said i thought there's another 16 year old this year and and but I, I can't remember if there is or not. But Darlene was sixteen, and I and I mentioned that yes, sixteen-year-olds have played this tournament. Yeah. Uh, you have to be pretty great. But Russia has this thing about like not wanting to play the young guys in front of the older guys. Worse than Canada, like way worse. And and I think it cost them a little yesterday because I think you want Svechnikov on in on everything. I want him playing as many minutes as possible because with that shot and speed, at some point he will break through and. You know, it didn't happen for him. We won't count him out just yet. And in that game, the the guy who impressed me the most was Nekesh. Yeah, Nekesh was great. He was. I mean, on speed alone. I mean, he was. I mean, he was flying. I mean, at, at a at a rate faster than anybody else. I mean, yeah. See, this is a funny thing. Like I was hearing. Sorry to interrupt. You no. I was hearing. You know, comparisons. They always drive me crazy. You know, I was hearing on air. Uh, David Krejci. Krejci wishes he was that fast. It's not even close. No, I mean, no, no, no joke. I mean, yeah. Krejci has has a very like sneaky way of getting around players and getting in position and has a great shot. Netsch has all those things, and he's way faster than than Krejci could ever be. And you know, and so like I, that's why I don't compare anybody. I don't think there is anybody comparable to him. I think when he does break into the league, he he will be a star. 
Yeah. And, and then I, and, Carolina. Carolina fans should be happy. Yeah, well, I, I, I well, would, they need offensive they, players. At some point, he'll be they, there. They probably wish they had him right now because of their yeah. need. I think their need up the middle. But you know, not not to rush him. And didn't and wasn't didn't he stay a little longer than normal? I think he stayed through the preseason. I don't think he played any regular season games, but I think he I think he stayed for the preseason or something. Yeah, I think so. Um, th- then I walked over to the Harbor Center, and I, I have to say, um, the the KeyBank Center for Russia and the Czechs. It was a twelve noon game, so you couldn't really expect that much i think it was only the families in there that's how that's how empty it was um it was a much better showing in a much better setting for the second game because the harbor center holds maybe 1500 to 2000 at most and it was almost full and you had the the raucous belarus fans and some and some uh, some fans wearing the uh the the yellow trey kroner jerseys for sweden um sweden took their time getting started it was one-one in the in the middle of the second period, and I think I think Belarus had three shots on goal. Um, so yeah, they were just toying with them. I mean, yeah, well, just... I don't know if it was toying. I think it was a little bit rust. I think it was a okay. little bit just t- t- being being tentative. And the one goal that Belarus scored, Alex Nylander threw a lazy pass to the point that was knocked out of midair by the Belarusian player, and he and he went in on a breakaway and scored. But yeah. he scored three goals in the middle of the second period, and then it was basically a rout. Um, Sweden Rust is extremely talented. Everybody, I think, was focused 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 on Dalin. Um, and I I was extremely impressed. I, I I I'll I'll just talk about this game. Uh, I I was extremely impressed with Dalin. I mean, he played. Oh sure, Dalin's fantastic. He played over twenty minutes. I mean, the the thing is, people and maybe those who haven't seen him enough. People think, okay, he's a big defenseman. He's a big defenseman who plays with speed and skill. I mean, he, he moves, does everything at top speed. He yeah, does. He moves like a like a five foot ten defenseman. I mean, in terms yeah. of speed and in terms of his stick handling ability, the they passes had him, are really crisp. Like, yeah, yeah they, had, he, they had him paired with Brandstrom, and I, I think Darlene was more was quicker than Brandstrom was. Yeah, oh no, there's no question he's quicker than Brandstrom. Uh, I I just think what's funny about Darlene is as much as I like Lilligren when he's got the puck and he's moving, Darlene's the next step above that. You know, like that's where he's at. And so that's – it's it's pretty good praise, but it's really true. And that's why, you know, right now he's holding it number one. I did do an article on Svechnikov yesterday. I don't know if it's going to change. It probably won't. But if Svechnikov were to light it up in this tournament, it certainly would – get people talking again if not right. and he's going to run away with the number one spot and then it'll be you know number two will be the in question but that's um it's a pretty exciting thing to watch him to watch Nylander Leah Anderson's a great player but yeah. but again this is this is supposed to be a big boost for Alex Nylander so he he has to do well in front of the home crowd here well it, it took him a little bit of time but the funny thing is it kicked into gear when the Swedish coach moved him up the middle he was playing center which he's not, he's not a center. Um, he did that a couple years ago when his brother got hurt uh, in the first game of the World Junior, and I think it was in, in, in Finland. 
and uh, and he moved, and I think he moved to center on that that tournament and played with uh, Timashov and played played really well. He they did yeah. that again and he seemed to get going once they moved him up the middle. The interesting thing that uh, the Swedish coach did he had he had Dahlin and he had Lilligren on two separate pairings because uh, and and then at one one when they were basically desperate to get some jump he put the two of them together. And I talked to Lilligren Lilligren after the game, and I and I asked him. I says, you know what? Because he was playing with uh, an LA King prospect, who I I I won't even say his last name because I butcher it every time. Movier, Movier. Oh, Movier, yeah. Yeah, it's and Lilligren laughed at me when I I try. I says, I know I'm going to butcher this name, and I I said, Matthew Movier now, but whatever. It's 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 tough, but But he's a good player too. Yes. And basically what he said is when he's playing with Darlene, because Darlene has got an offensive game and a defensive game, they're sort of playing on the hinge where he goes back when Darlene jumps into the attack and vice versa. Right. Whereas with the uh, with his other pairing, Liljegren was able to jump into the attack all the time because the, right. the other guy is more of a defensive defenseman. But I, I have to say also that, that Leas Anderson was very impressive in that game. Yeah. Great release on his shot. He had a couple goals. Um, so I, I think Sweden is going to be, you know, I, I can't say they're going to win it, but I think they're going to be a force. Uh, I'm not. They'll, be in it. they'll definitely be in the conversation. I I had them in my top four. I I'm, I know they'll be there. So I, I think that's that's fair to say. The interesting, you know, offshoot conversation that I was already getting texts about was like, who do you like better, Casey Middlestad or Elias Anderson? And of course, people are asking me that because the Rangers took Anderson and. They went for something different. What the Rangers went for was a player that was more physically advanced mm-hmm. and could get to the NHL faster. Whereas I, I think Middleton would be a better Middlestat would be a better scorer. Now Anderson's a really good player. Yeah. The thing about Middlestat is, and he told me this before the draft last year, he had never lifted a weight in his life. But well, he also told me when he got to college, he would do that. And now you can see, even just you know from the summer to now. He is a lot stronger, and we'll talk about him. But that's so, so, well. Let's let's go to that game because well, yeah. that that was pretty much a blowout. Nine uh, yeah. nothing, Team USA over Denmark. Um, I was sitting next to um, someone uh, in the in the press box who was basically saying at six nothing that he was a little afraid of the U.S. getting into some bad habits and getting lazy. And you could see it in the second period; they started to give away the puck, they started to overpass, but. I mean, they just overwhelmed the Danes. The Danes. I mean, you know, yeah. you never, you never overlook an opponent, and, and goal differential means something. But it was never really a contest. It was no. two nothing after like five, four minutes, and they just kept pouring it on. But and, you know, Middlestad, you're right. Some of the Buffalo reporters said that he looked a lot thicker and stronger yeah. than he did at their at their rookie camp. And uh, I talked to one person who said that he's going to be a one and done. He's going to. He's oh gonna, yeah, no, he's yeah one year, and then with Minnesota, and he's done. Yeah, and, and if you project, I mean, I don't know if that means that he starts the year in the American Hockey League, or he's going to play the wing, or if he's even going to play center in the at the NHL level. But you know, I think he's going to get a long look at the NHL level. I do. Yeah. But uh, and you know Joseph Wall had 17 saves for a shutout. But to be again, fair, he wasn't really tested. No, no, he wasn't. A couple he wasn't. Times. Te- he wasn't. Te- he was And even he said so. It's like I asked him the question about you know basically concentration because when you yeah. take six shots after two periods, it's really tough. You know, you're not doing a lot out there. 
And then how, you know, how do you maintain that level of concentration? And you just said, well, you know, you sort of have to because, you know, you let in one bad goal if you don't face anything and then all of a sudden things turn around. So it's, um, I mean, I have to say, you know, the U.S. are loaded. I mean, this is not a team. Oh, no, they're loaded. That's, I, I wrote about it a little bit on Hockey Buzz. The, the blend of size and speed is really like no other team in the tournament. And, you know, when you take the amount of six foot one guys and over, and then even, you know, like middle stats six foot, but it doesn't matter. He plays much bigger. Like you can't, could hardly contain him. Then even the five foot eight guys, you know, like Harper and Yamamoto, you can't stop these guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was very, I was very impressed with, well, Keeper Bellows had a really good game, had a penalty shot goal. Um, Max, you know, Max Jones is, you know, he's a big, powerful winger and he had a really good game. So yeah, there's, I mean, the Team USA, I mean, I, I can't say they're going to, they're going to win it all again. You know, that would, uh, you know, but I think they're going to definitely be in competition. I think they've got the goaltending. Their defense is really good. Guys like Fox and Peak. Uh, uh, Quinn Hughes accounted himself very well. I mean, always boy, does. Oh, he's so creative. I he's mean, just he made a couple creative plays. And smart. He just he outthinks the opposition. Like he knows exactly where they're not. Yeah, and one of, one of the most impressive things that Middlestead did on I think it was on his second goal. It was like from very close in, maybe like just just outside the blue paint. Yeah, and he roofed it. I mean, you know, from a from he hit it out of the air, and that was like, I don't know how you do that. He changed the angle on his stick, yeah, so he could hit it out of the air, and and I believe when I had a you know an exclusive with him before the draft, I believe he told me that he was besides a golfer a lacrosse player. It seemed like the lacrosse part of it kicked in there. Well, it was and it was very Van Riemsdyk like because yeah. he he can do that as well, stand very close to the net and. Elevated, or he, yeah. you know, in the in the pregame, you see him hitting the roof constantly. He's just boom, boom, boom. And Middlestead did that in the game, so I mean that that speaks to the skill level that he has. Now I missed the like, first. You know, even Riley Tuff, Tuff yeah. was was tough in the crease. Like they just have so many weapons. Uh, you really, the only way to really beat the U.S. team is to control the puck, have the puck possession, keep it away from them, yeah. and. Yeah try and tire them out and try and get a lot of shots on goal. And that's going to be hard for any team to do. Now, before we talk about Canada and Finland, I know that, you know, Mike Harrington from the Buffalo news and there were some other, there was some other commentary on some Toronto radio shows regarding the uh, attendance in Buffalo. And Russ, my theory is, cause I would say, and I'm just, I don't know the official numbers. These are that, prelims, dude. Like yeah. attendance isn't great for any prelim. Right, exactly. I mean, I don't know what the official numbers in terms of tickets sold were, but that's not accurate. By just by eyeing it, I would say it, for the Canada game that it was sparsely populated in the upper deck, and it was I would say about half full in the lower deck. So I would say yeah. probably in the neighborhood of five to six thousand at most, and it was less for U.S. Denmark. You have to real, and this is my theory. You have to realize they're expecting 40,000 for the outdoor game in a couple days. I think that that event sucked up all the money and all the attention. And that's why maybe there's a little less there than the, Yeah, I think that's fair. And I also think that besides that prelims are never big sellouts. They're not, right. it's the way it is. There's a lot of people that come in for the big games and I don't, you know, I don't blame them. That's, that's the way it goes. These are, these are midweek games. Not everybody is off of work. 
Yeah. Like, there's always a lot of reasons. I don't ever kill them for attendance on these early games. Three no. years ago, I remember there being complaints about not a lot of people in, in at the Bell Center in Montreal for the preliminary game, games. Right. And then, you know, they, the, it was packed in Toronto for the for the medal round. And then yeah. vice versa. For last year, there wasn't a lot of – a lot of uh, you know, this was a – remember, this was a year where – you know, the Centennial Classic and other events were, were in Toronto. So there was like it, uh, the World Cup of Hockey. So there's so many events. There's just so many dollars to go around. So, I mean, I think Buffalo's t- sort of taking a bit of an unfair hit here. And we'll see when it comes to, you know, later on in the tournament. If there are like 8,000 people in there for Canada, U.S. in, a, in the medal round, then criticism. Yeah, then, then you worry about it. Until then, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Now the the other the, the final game was uh, was and it was the the four o'clock game I believe. Yeah, four right. o'clock because I missed the first period of this game and Canada was already up two. I did two. I did two. Same thing. Yeah. Now the thing was is that we missed the, the most exciting and controversial play of the game where Cal Foot comes in and sweeps the puck away off of the goal line. There was another goal or another no goal. Uh, in the second period, that from the view up, you know, the, the view that we saw, it, the puck was on its edge. The puck looked like it was there was white space in between the goal line and the puck, and they still called it no goal. So yeah, there's there is this thing now with referees' discretion that you know I don't know every IIHF rule. I don't, and and so this one surprised me. But I think the first one that you were talking about when the net came off the moorings, yeah. Was that the Cal Foot one? No, the Cal. Uh, um, no, that was Kachuk, wasn't it? No, that was no. Cal Foot was the one that that saved the goal. Yeah, I'm not talking stopped. about that one. Was it Kachuk that went? Kachuk was the Kachuk. one that the puck went in before the net came off its mooring. Yeah. See, I don't think it did. I don't think the puck ever went in because that puck's got to completely cross the line. I don't think the puck completely crossed the line at all, and it was up to the referee to decide if it was going to before the net came off the moorings, like if it didn't come off, right? I think that was a bad call. I do. Well, I mean, all I, could, all I could do was, as I got to the press box, ask three or four people that were sitting next to me, did you think it was a goal? Did you not think it was a goal? And I think it was four people, and it was split 2-2. Two, two. So, you know, yeah, it was not – It was not. It's going to be one of those that it's, it's never a perfect decision. But I will say this, you know, Pekka Lukanen, I'm, I'm a little iffy about I – I don't think he had a good game. I don't like the was it the third goal that he gave up. Didn't like fourth, that one. Fourth goal, the radish, the radish goal. Yeah, the radish goal. I did not like it all. Now, granted, it was a little bit weird the way he hit the puck, but I didn't think he tracked it well at all. So I, I I'm not a fan of that. Well, I, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's got a lot of work to do. He still could be a good goalie, but the Sabers. You still may not have your goalie in the future. You got to. Yeah, sit. he's he's a he's a buffalo he's a buffalo prospect, and yeah, I mean I. I you know, in speaking to a couple people, they they thought he looked he was back in the net on that one, and it was not a it was not a great goal. But you know, he's uh he's he's a young goaltender. And now I have to I have to say that uh, you know for Team Canada, the thing is they don't have a you know they don't have a superstar on this team. They don't have uh they don't they don't have a McDavid. They don't have a Stamkos or a Tavares. They're fully expecting to be to be dependent on balanced scoring, and sometimes that's scary because you know sometimes you're expecting like four lines to generate offense and then none of them do, and they're depending a lot on Carter Hart. And I thought Carter Hart had a pretty good 
uh, first outing against, you know, not a, not the strongest team. Remember, Finland almost got relegated last year, but everybody yeah. thought that Finland was going to be dramatically improved because, you know, they have Tolvanen. They have a defense with five first-round picks on it. They, they don't, don't have a lot of offense, Finland. No, and I thought, I thought the reason I picked them so high is because I felt like they could get offense from their defense. Yeah. And so far they haven't done that, but I think they can do it with the yeah. five first-rounders. They do. But the coach has to change the style there because other than Veselainen and Tolvanen, they're, they're missing offensive players. I mean, they really are. I mean, that's, yeah, no, that's, that's a big deal. The other thing is, the other big thing about the Finnish team was, like, again, I, I thought Tolvanen was average. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't great. But I just – I looked at the way they, um, they were defending – and they were a hot mess at times. They almost seemed like they were unfamiliar playing with each other, and I didn't expect to see that. Yeah, they play, and they also played seven D. So which yeah, uh, well, so did Canada, right? Fabro played that seven yeah. spot. Yeah, and then they, they were they were careful with Fabro because he was coming off that in, coming off that injury. So yeah, they didn't give. I think I don't, I'm pretty sure they didn't give him a lot of ice time. They gave him some, but no. not not a great deal. But uh, Hart was great. I mean, I, I was going to say that you know, Gadjevic, that's a situation where you go to block the shot, and why are you trying to block the shot? You blocked his, you blocked his way. You you hit the puck, goes top, top of the goal. Like there was yeah. nothing Hart could do on that goal. Yeah. Now Canada tonight, Canada tonight plays Slovakia, and they're playing Colton Point, the backup goal. Well, yeah, the presumptive yeah. backup. He's the backup. Yeah, he's the backup, and then and which means that Hart is definitely going to be the starter for the outdoor game. I, fun, ironically, I, I asked Wall whether that was going to be the plan because remember uh, the U.S. plays Slovakia uh, yeah. on Thursday at eight o'clock, and then plays the outdoor game Friday at three p.m. Um, the, the I asked Wool whether that was the plan, and he basically says, "I, I, you know, they tell me when I'm playing, and that's it." You know, so he was, he, yeah. I tried to, draw, I tried to draw something out of him, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't go there. But I would suspect that Ottinger will start against Slovakia, and then Wool will start against against Canada, like he did last year. Yeah. So, so you know, some some interesting stuff from from the World Junior, and Wool will be covering that on a daily basis uh, going forward. Yep. Um, now, some news from the NHL. Um, first, Ryan Kessler makes his return for the Anaheim Ducks tonight against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. He's been out the entire season. Um, we've been talking about Anaheim and how they're just sort of hanging around, hanging around. Now, Getzloff is back, and now uh, Kessler is back. That's I a big think. deal. Yeah, it's it is a big deal. I mean, what, what do you? I mean, I I think they've been pretty good in terms of being able to stay within distance. Now they really have to kick it into gear. Yeah, they've got to they've got to make some some headway here. They do, and I, I I'm going to be looking for them to do that. Let's see if they can really get something going now. Yeah. Now. They need to. Now here's here's some a bit of a surprise because I thought he was based on. The prognosis. I thought he was going to be out a lot longer than this, but uh, Zach Parise uh, apparently is about ready to go down to Iowa for a conditioning stint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw maybe, that. And maybe back by the end of the week. And I'm like, I thought he was going to be out another like month or so. Yeah, I I've been getting these like little notes. You saw them online and stuff that hey, he's getting closer. So you know, 
maybe uh, he's just rehabbing great and and it's looking good for him. That would be a big boost for for Minnesota. Obviously, I guess you know, no great, nothing, nothing great for me to mention that. But they really could use him, and if they they get him back this early, it'll really help them for their playoff run too. Now I know that uh, last time we had Eka on the show, the name of I don't know if it was the last time or the time before, but the name of Tyson Berry was mentioned as possible trade bait. Well, before the Christmas break, I think it was the last game before the break, uh, he suffered a hand injury and he's out four to six weeks. Yeah. So that now that's you know if if it's six weeks, that's a, probably a week or two before the deadline. So if their intent is still to trade him, then you know they still will be able to do it. But I think that puts a little bit of a crimp in Colorado's plans if their plans is, plans are to trade him. Yeah. Uh, boy, I, I don't think they're going to be able to trade Barry. I don't. Well, it, it, it all depends. It all depends on how much Colorado doesn't like that contract. I mean, we, you know, we all know what Barry is. He's an offensive defenseman defensively. Right. I think in his own zone, he's, I, I think inept is probably too strong, but I think he's not strong. He's not he's not a plus defender. He's a plus offensive player, and if yeah. you can ex- if you can accept those, you know those shortcomings in his game, then everything is fine. But you know maybe that's something that you know now that they have Samuel Gerrard, you know Johnson's having a good year. I mean they need depth on their blue line. You know maybe, maybe they they think Zadorov is taking a step forward. But they, you know, his name continues to come up in trade rumors. Yeah, but again, I just think this is just—I'm not even sure it's coming from Colorado. You think I'll, it's I'll be honest. From other other people, I do. I think it's coming from other people because I, I think it's like wishful thinking that that Colorado falls out of it, and I don't know if they're going to. Now, um, something I, something that I know—a name that I know that Eck mentioned on the last. Uh, last time he was on the show was Aaron Dell. And there were, there are some reports that, that uh, the Islanders may, may be interested in Dell and that, that the Sharks um, would be in line to get some offensive young player from the Islanders that they have, you know, God knows they have enough, but maybe a Dal Cole or a Hosang, somebody of that nature. Boy, I, I'm not trading. I, I might trade Dal Cole for him. There's no way I'm trading Hosang for Aaron Dell. Uh, uh, well, unless, uh, okay. Unless, unless I mean, we know Hosang has been a problem child in junior and he's been up and down this year. I mean, I, I saw him last year, Russ, yeah. and he's got ama- amazing talent, but there's something, there's something with this guy where it's like, he just, I mean, he he gets on the wrong side of coaches. He does. He he's definitely rubbing coaches the wrong way. I I'm not around the Islanders enough to know what that might be. Mm. When we see him out there on the ice, he does look pretty good. It looks like actually the last few times I'd seen him, his discipline was better. You know, because I saw him in the A when he got sent down last year, and his discipline was horrible. Yeah. Like I saw him commit penalty after penalty. But, but that hasn't been the case, so I, I don't know what it is. I don't know, so I'm not going to speculate. But right. I don't think they'll trade him. I think they would trade Dal Cole for Dell. I do think that because they haven't been able to unlock Dal Cole, and he needs still so a little bit of work, and I think San Jose might be willing to do that. Yeah, but and, I, and, yeah. and, and remember remember what Dell is. Dell is a 28-year-old guy who didn't yeah. – Play his first game in the NHL until last season, so he was 27, and he's got great stats. 
But this 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 smacks of Scott Darling all over again. You trade, you know, he's a UFA at the end of this year, so you're not like if you're trading a Delcor or a Jose, and that's a a retainable asset for four or five or six years, depending on the length of you know when when his entry level deal started. And yeah. Dell could walk, you know, if, a you don't know if he's going to play great with uh with with the Islanders as opposed to the way he's playing with with the Sharks, and b you don't know if you can sign him, and c you don't know how good he is really. Yeah, now Thomas wrote that, you know, um, Hosang's on the fourth line in Bridgeport. Like, that has nothing to do with his talent. That's all about punishment. That's him being is. punished. Like, it's just, you know, so this isn't – I'm not going to take that. If, if Josh Hosang wants to be, he could be the best the best player in the AHL. Like, that's not even a problem. It's, right. it's all the other things. It's, you know, playing in his own zone. It's probably the – practicing aspect how he practices so we'll see i mean he's still young i don't think he's going anywhere and from the perspective of doug wilson honestly you look at san jose right now and i think i think they're almost this is like their their last gasp for a while because more than likely i think thornton is either going to retire at the end of the year or go someplace else because yeah. i think the window the window for san jose being a competitive team in the west is closing and you know the the big contracts of Vlasic and Martin Jones kick in, so they're not going to be able to pay Thornton big money next year. I mean, basically they they gave Thornton the money that Marlowe didn't take on a one year deal. And now you know if Thornton wants to win a Stanley Cup before he retires, he's not going to re-sign with San Jose. In spite of all the things that he loves about living in Northern California, he's going to shop himself to a contending team for a one or two year deal to try to win a cup before he retires. So yeah. I think, you know, they, they, their, their window this year, if they need scoring, they should trade Dell because Dell is an expendable asset. So. Yeah. I just think with San Jose, I think it's going to take a couple of years, almost like a reset. You know, I think when, um, when you're looking at players like you're seeing in the world juniors, Josh Norris, really good, but you know, he's going to be a while. He's not going to be a guy that gets up there quickly. I, I think I could see them being a non-playoff team for a couple of years, but because they have Jones and they have him under contract, they'll try to make other moves. You know, Dylan Gambrell is still a couple of years away. Jeremy Waugh is a really good player, defenseman. He's he's getting closer. Like, they have guys. He's in the AHL. They have guys that could really – and Wah had a lot of injury problems. He's really offensively talented. He only has about nine points right now in the A, but he's playing and he's not not injured. So that's a big deal. So I could see in like two years things changing for them. Um, a signing off the ice, uh, Blues GM Doug Armstrong signed a five-year – or so, excuse me, a four-year contract extension. Um, is it Makes so sense. Is it oversimplistic to say that he should thank Ron Hextall for that uh, – for his extension? Because of, the, uh, because of the Braden Shen deal, because I think that's the cap. I think it's more than that. Yeah, He's I think so too, well, but that's that certainly hasn't hurt him. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I just, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a help. I mean, I think you know, drafting Pareko and you know some of the other acquisitions that they've made. You know, they're having a great year. So uh, somebody made the point that you're. What's that? I was gonna say. In the chat room, I just saw somebody say, "Well, the, you know, the Islanders will pay Tavares and Josh Bailey ten million. No, they won't. They'll they'll pay you know Tavares 
for somewhere between you know ten and twelve, yeah. they will not pay Josh Bailey that kind of money. Josh Bailey is not going to be an Islander next year. Right. I would say, if, 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 let's just say this: if they sign Tavares, they're not signing Bailey. Probably not. Okay. Um, now let's let's touch on a couple things. One uh, popped up just before the the break. Um, I'm not sure if we talked about it before then, but we'll t- just talk about it again. Um, was Chris Letang? I think it was. Yeah. I believe it was uh, Nick Kiprios of Sportsnet that said that you know the Penguins are in a situation where they need forward help. They won a Stanley Cup without Letang last year with a hodgepodge defensive core, and Letang this year coming off an of injury has played horribly, and that they might be interested in trading Letang if they are able to get themselves a couple forwards. Now there's a problem. Chris Letang has four years left after this year at 7.25 million. Yeah. And after the number of injuries, what was it? An Achilles. Uh, I think he had a a shoulder injury. He's had a stroke. I mean, the wear and tear on Letang's body. If he had a year or two, I think there would be a lot of takers because the risk would be low. But four years at seven and a quarter million, I don't know if there's any takers out there. No, I I agree. <laughs> Excuse me, I agree. I think what's going to have to happen is, like, let's just say it was a team like Vegas, right? Yeah. And 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 it could be a lot of different teams that could swallow up his contract. But if I'm swallowing up his contract. I want Latang, and you know, give me someone like I don't know Frederick Tipples. He's 22. He's in the AHL now, and he had a good college career. Mm-hmm. They had him in the E. Now he's moved up to the A. He has a little bit of offensive ability. I want both of those guys, and then I'll give you a couple forwards because I'm eating a big contract here, and I'm not just taking one for two. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, a big market team, and I'm just using the Rangers as an example, not that I think they would be interested. Yeah, I don't think they would be. But, yeah. no, but, but just – just or say, you know, I, I, the, the chances of them trading them to Washington are very slim. But I'm just saying a big money, big market team could afford to take the risk because if he gets injured, it's it's just money. If he goes on LTIR and they eat, yeah. and they eat the salary. But, you know, it's the four years. That's what I think – you know it that that severely limits your your the range of the number of teams that would be interested. Now I, I've heard you know you know as soon as Latang's name came up, oh my God, Toronto because Toronto has uh, you know the, the need for that number one defenseman. But the question is whether he's a number one defenseman anymore. And I don't know. I mean, I I I spoke to somebody in Pittsburgh, and he's they said he played horribly so far this year. I mean, he's got twenty five points. It's not horrible. It's just horrible for Chris Letang. Right. I think, you know, I think on a team like Toronto, yes. Could he be a a top-pairing guy? Yes. He's going to be deficient defensively, though, and that's not going to work out well because they have too many guys like that already. Yeah. So it's going to take a special spot to put him in, you know? Like, here's what I could see. I could see Arizona working a deal where they get Letang and they move Yarmulson just to sort of shuffle, you know, keep shuffling the deck chairs and and see what they can get out of Pittsburgh other than that, like a pick or a better Sprung, player. Like a Sprung, Sprung. Or, or a Jari. Or a Jari, something like that. They probably don't want Jari, though, because, you know, they have Wedgwood and they also have um, Merrick Madsen from, who's in the flyer system. So I, I, think, I think they have goalies, so I think they would take Sprung for sure. 
And I think that's what the, the kind of deal I could see happening. And again, I don't know if it's Vegas, I don't know if it's Arizona, but it's going to have to be with a team like that, knowing that the cap goes up next year. This is a way where, okay, we're increasing payroll, but we get something out of it. Now, we'll take one or two questions from the chat if anybody's got anything, but I wanted to touch on this one because Zach wrote about it a couple hours ago, and it has to do with the Leafs. Um, and what he said is he spoke to a top source in Toronto and that the Leafs are, quote, workshopping scenarios that would lead them to sign either Carlson or Tavares. Uh, so obviously, in, in this, that would be – Either Eric Carlson, Carlson John. Yeah, right. Either it would be either Tavares next summer or Carlson the summer after that. Right. Um, and he he had heard something about Carlson and the Leafs a couple weeks ago. Now, okay, from my from my read from my perspective, and I'm not, you know I I don't have this the source that Ak has. I'm just looking at it from as somebody who reads the landscape in Toronto. I don't think there is a lot of interest in John Tavares simply because if they sign John Tavares, the the, the first immediate thing that they would have to do is trade Nazem Kadri because Nazem Kadri is four and a half million dollars. They wouldn't be able to afford him. You're gonna you're gonna be paying Matthews probably ten to eleven million dollars a year on a new deal. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think Tavares is signing a one-year deal where all the risk is on him. He's gonna if he's gonna sign someplace other than the Islanders, he's gonna sign for the max. He's gonna sign for seven years. He's gonna sign for as much as he can get. Um, so I, I, that it's very possible that Toronto could be willing to do that for a guy who's a superstar, but they've already you know, and you see that you know you see the Kane Tave scenario in Chicago and Malkin and Crosby. You know, maybe the Leafs want that. You know, up the middle, Tavares. I mean, they're going to make a move on somebody big at some point. Like besides the guys they have, they will do that. So, yes. but I, I, but I, but I think if they do that, Russ, it's going to be for a blue liner. It's not when you've got okay. I know Kadri, likely, yes. Yeah, I know Kadri's has, has slumped recently. He hasn't had a point in ten games. He was on a forty goal pace, so now he's on a thirty goal pace. He's going to score right. eventually. You know, he's. He's never been one of my favorite players, but I have to begrudgingly say in the last couple of years, he's really turned his game around. He's played better defensively. He's yep. quit the diving a lot as much as he still does a little of it. Still, still does a lot and still has a little, you know, little wanderlust, makes a couple bad plays every once in a while, but he's a much better, more well-rounded player than he was a couple of years ago. Yep. So Babcock has had an effect on him. Yes. He's making four and a half million bucks as a number two center. I, yeah. You're not going to get better than that. I mean, the, the Paying Tavares eleven, and you know, compared to paying Kadri four and a half, the 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 difference between Kadri and Tavares is not six and a half million dollars. It's significant, but it's not it that much. I mean, so I I think that I I don't think the Leafs are going after Tavares unless he falls into the lap and unless he's willing to take a one year deal, which I don't think he's going to be able to. Yeah, he's not doing that. Yeah. Now Carlson. I, you know who who if you if you if you have a if you have a defense if you a, a need for a defenseman there's you know there's there's nothing better than having than, than having Eric Carlson but again you're waiting you're going to be waiting another year right. and you're going to and you're going to probably be spending ten to eleven million dollars on again a guy who's got a lot of injury history so yeah, I think I, that teams yeah. like Montreal the Leafs the Rangers. They would line up to talk to him in free agency for sure. I uh, I think 
Ottawa would give him one last gasp, depending on what the situation is there. And you probably could add another team or two into that mix, maybe Edmonton, maybe, you know, so I, I'm pretty sure. But again, I don't know if it'll get to that. Yeah. I just have a feeling Carlson will get traded somewhere where yes. he wants to sign and avoid all that. He's a very, you know, he's a pretty shy guy. Yeah. You know, you don't hear that much about him. He doesn't talk about how great he is. You're, you know, other than the slap shot where, you know, you saw the gender reveal for him. You know, he's not out there that much. He's really yeah. not. I See, I, I, I think you're right. I also think that he's he can control the situation where, yep. I mean, there are only a few teams that can, you know, because remember, he doesn't want to play for a budget team. He wants to play for a team that spends to the cap because he wants to win a cup. And that might mean that he takes a little less to play for that team because, you know, that's been his complaint in Ottawa is that Melnick is paying at $68 million on a $75 million cap. And if they go up to $80 million, he's probably going to pay less than $68 million. So he wants to go someplace like New York or Toronto or Philadelphia that will spend yeah. up to the cap. And maybe he takes a little bit less than he would normally take. You know. And I don't think Philadelphia would do it because, like, they already have Spear under contract at a reasonable rate. Provo. He may not get the points Carlson does. They have Provorov, who they have to sign. Sanheim presumably will bring offense in the future. Like, I don't think they're going to go for him. You can make the case for New York. You can make the case yes. for Toronto. There's a couple other teams out west that you can make the case for. Well, you can make the case for both New York teams, really. Yeah. But, I mean, let's just say Dallas will be very interesting – in late June, if this scenario continues to play out, remember July first, he can sign an extension. So if they do make it, yeah, but Dallas has high skinning coming. So no, 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 I, no, I mean in Dallas for the draft. At the, oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's, that, that's when I think something something will happen. Um, any uh, any questions in the chat? Uh, let's see. Uh, if not, no big deal. No, there's there were some earlier. Hold on, I gotta scroll. These guys are chatting up a storm. Shut uh, up, guys. Shut up. <laughs> Hold on. Give me one more second. I know this is compelling, but I'm trying to trying to get to what you guys were asking. Uh, well, ask it again, then. <laughs> yeah, maybe ask it again. But I'm still looking. Hold on. No, nah, I can't find it. They did have a couple. Oh, well, here's one. Here's one. Okay. Somebody did write, Gary wrote, curious on how many teams can afford Latang in the cap hit, but we did talk about that. The um, That was probably the main question, actually. Well, yeah, I that was the main one. Well, let me see if anything else was asked. Well, uh, one, one, one thing with, with, with the Carlson situation, with the year left, if he doesn't get traded to a team that he wants to sign with, yeah, Ottawa is severely is is risking getting pennies on the dollar because if they trade him someplace where, okay, you know they're gonna rent basically have him as a rental for a year, yeah, and they're gonna they're gonna pay rental prices, then they're gonna get right. a first round pick, a prospect, and a and an NHL player, you know, and yeah. you know probably not top top of line guys. The only the only team that's, that's going to give up significant assets for Eric Carlson is a team that believes they can sign him to an extension. Right. Um, Rob did ask, "Will Lilligren be a Leaf next year?" I believe he will be. Um, I 
I mean, it will obviously depend on on camp, but I also think it'll depend on. I mean, they, well, look, okay. Could you uh, could you easily move Roman Polak out of that defense? Oh no, Rome, Roman yes. Roman Polak will not be on the Leafs next no. year. So that, so that, there will be an opening. I think there's a better chance of Travis Dermott being uh, on the Leafs next year than Lilligren simply because Dermott has been in the AHL for a couple years. Yeah, but I think yeah. Lilligren's going to push the envelope to the point where I think they look at it and say, mm. I'm, "Yeah, I'm, I'm not doubting. I mean, I'm not I doubting that he's 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 played well in the American Hockey League so far. I think he had goal and eight eight assists in 17 games. So he's yeah. playing okay. He's playing okay." Uh, he's made some mistakes. He's learning from them. He's a, he's adjusting yeah. to the North American game. I, I think I, knowing the way the Leafs have been slowly advancing their prospects, I, I would say to start the year, no, but I would say maybe by the middle of the year he could be up. It all depends on what they do in the summer because I think I think at the deadline, by the deadline, they're going to try to add a defenseman, and if they add somebody who's a top four, then that slows the progress. Of, right. of Liljegren, and you know, right now, I think if they could get themselves a top four, they would move a guy like Ron Hainsey down to the bottom pairing, and that would help the depth of their defense right now. But you know, I think they, what's helping Liljegren in the in the argument is he has the points, and it's nine points in seventeen games. So that's pretty good, and he's a plus six. Yeah, the the, the one the one plus is, I mean. You could say, well, Babcock doesn't like rookie defensemen. Well, Andreas Borgman is a rookie defenseman that they brought over. Well. He's doing pretty well, and he, he's a Swede, and uh, you know he's. A, but he's, you know, he hits. He's, you know, got a little snarl to his game. Liljegren is a strictly an offensive guy. It would, you know, maybe he would pair with a guy like Riley, but that's a lot of exposure for a twenty-year-old defenseman. So I, I'm yeah, skeptical. He, you know, he's used to playing against men, playing with exposure. We'll see. The World Juniors will be a lot, and the rest of the season and playoff run for the yeah. Marlies will 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 mean a lot. Yes. All right. Uh, good show. We will be back tomorrow with. Uh, now there are games tonight, correct? Yeah, there's games. Rangers, Capitals is a big one. Yep, there's some games. Yes, thank goodness. NHL hockey. What a what a what a concept. Uh, for us, Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.